When we talk about stress, we're talking about a very serious issue, something that we need to take seriously because the effects of stress in our life affect our health. I Googled, you know, just how to deal with stress, just to see what would pop up. And there are a ton of websites that popped up. And so I kind of wrote down a list here of some of the biggest ones that came up. There was go for a walk, spend time in nature, call a good friend, sweat out tension with a good workout, write in your journal, take a long bath. You guys like that one? Light scented candles all around your bath. Savor a warm cup of coffee or tea. Play with a pet. Work in your garden. Get a massage. Curl up with a good book. Listen to music. Watch a comedy. I don't have a lot of time, so what I try and do is just combine all of those at once just to get them done. (laughs) Sort of stresses me out, though, when I try and do that. What I didn't notice, website after website, was there was, there was hardly any mention of God anywhere. I had to specifically put God in to find some things about God. And we have been given a gift with the Bible. You guys, I think it's becoming more and more like you have a personal gift that is a secret gift in this world, which is sad, I know, but it's still a secret gift because if you will open this book to things like Philippians and you will read through it, we find that this book is the, the truest way to happiness. It's like a guide through the happiness issue. And the rest of the world's missing out because if you would Google and Philippians would pop up, they would be so much further along. But that's not what happens. But you, us, us in this room have been given a gift because this book walks you through happiness issues. And if we will take this seriously, we will find that God is going to guide us into a stress-free life if we will follow what this book says. It's exciting. I can see it on your faces. I read another statistic that the top seven stressors in our life are these. Job, money, health, relationships, poor diet, media overload, and lack of sleep. These are the top seven in our, that are stressors in our life. Now, if you guys look at that list and any of those are sort of causing some stress in your life, you're in the right place. Because that is the issues that we're going to be talking about today. This message is tailor-made for you. And it's going to be awesome. (laughs) I I don't know if you're with me yet. But every other word I say is a little bit of a joke, so you have to kind of come with me, all right? These things are absolutely life changers. So come with me on this journey, because what I'm going to do is give you five simple things they are very simple to talk about, very simple to say, actually a very simple message to write but we don't do them. These are the five things that we have to do. And here's, here's kind of a, a, a point that I want you to get. Let me first give you a couple verses, and I'm going to give you a main point to get. The first verse we see in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It pops up, but if you have your Bible, Bible you want to open it, because there's parts you may want to underline and circle. So if you have your Bible, open to this, but if you don't, here it is. It says this, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the question you want to ask when you read that is, what does it mean to have a peace that passes all comprehension? A peace that goes beyond all comprehension. That sounds like a really, it sounds like an oxymoron, because you read it and you go, okay, what does that mean? I get it in generalities, 
But if I go a little bit deeper, wait, I don't even understand the peace that I have. That's the peace when there's total chaos in your life. And everything, most people should be melting down at this point. There's tension. Everything's going wrong at the exact same time. And yet, in the midst of it, you feel peace. People look at you like you're crazy because all of this is going wrong, and yet you feel peace. That's the peace that goes beyond comprehension. Isn't that the peace that we would want? We want to know that even though the world may be collapsing around me, things are going wrong, the health issues are going up, just everything is going wrong in this moment, and yet for some reason I feel inside a peace like God's in control, and I'm not that worried about it. That's the peace that goes beyond comprehension. Now here's the key point. This is the point I want you to write in your notes. This is the point I want you to take away with you. This is a huge point, and it's this. It's this. God says, if you do this, then I will do this. I'm going to give you a secret. There's 7,000 promises in the Bible. If you will read through the Bible, you will see God promise you things after one after the other, one after the other, and 7,000 of them. And the promises that he gives you are, they're off the charts, but there is a condition to every single one of them. And we always talk about grace and free gifts and this and that, and it's kind of funny because there's not one that's free. I know you're all saying, wait, blasphemy. Settle down. Even the gift of your eternal salvation, isn't there something you're supposed to do? We always think of costs, you know, I've got to pay something for it. That's what most of you've got to earn it. There's a cost. The cost is your life. You have to give your life over to God and say, God, I believe. I believe, you, I believe so much in Jesus Christ dying on the cross that in my heart, I'm going to believe it and follow you. That's a pretty big condition. And we say it's free because we think of cost kind of things that are different. And so it is kind of free. But there is a condition. God says, if you do this, give your life to me, then I will do this, take care of everything else. Sounds pretty good. That's a pretty good promise from God, but there is something you're supposed to do. The peace that passes all comprehension, it's kind of free, but not really. He tells us specifically what to do. If you want that, if you want to have that in your life, I'm going to give you five things that you have to do. These are the five things that I want to see in your life. And if you do these things, then I will do this. I'll give you a peace that passes all comprehension. Those five things are right there in those verses. It said, I want you to pray about everything. I want you to worry about nothing. I want you to thank God in all things. I want you to keep your mind on good things. And I want you to be content in all things. Now, you probably didn't write all five of those down. Good, because we're going to take one at a time. The first one to write down was refuse to worry about anything. Refuse to worry about anything. Why? The number one stress in your life is not work. It's worrying about work. What keeps you up at night is not actually work. You think it's work, but it's the worry about work that's keeping you up all night. Each one of those stressors in your life, it's not the actual stress. It's the worry about that issue. Most of us are not overworked. 
We don't have these, these problems that are going crazy, but we worry about them so much that it's growing and growing. Philippians 4, 6, never worry about anything. Matt Dietz is over there, and he's saying, well, wait a second. I deal with high schoolers. There's a future that they have to worry about. No, Matt. It says never worry about anything. Bill just got back from the Philippines. He's saying, you know, they had a hurricane. Shouldn't they worry about the next hurricane? No, Bill. How are you not getting this? It says never worry about anything. Half of you are worried I'm going to call you out right now. It's okay. I won't do it anymore. It says never. Never is the key word. That's the one you circle. Never. Never worry about anything. That seems so strange, so different from how we experience this life. But think about what Jesus said. One of the greatest sermons of all time. We've talked about it several times through this series, the Sermon on the Mount. He takes a sidebar, a huge sidebar, to talk about worry, how much he doesn't like worry in any capacity. He said in Matthew 6, 25, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you wear. Is not life more important than food? Is not the body more important than clothes? What is he getting at? It's illogical that you're worried about these things. You've got your priorities out of order. It doesn't make sense. It's unreasonable. Worry is only going to make your problems bigger. When we start to worry about things, our, our, our vision, our focus gets smaller and smaller until we are just so focused on that one thing. It exaggerates and becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and it grows this problem out of proportion in our life. Worry doesn't fix the problem. It never has. In no way have you worried about something so much that it fixed itself. When you start to look at worry, that, that, that feeling of making a difference in your life goes away because it starts to just kill everything. It's useless to worry about something that you can't change. And it's foolish to worry about something that you can change. Either way, either you can't affect it or you can affect it, but worry does nothing for either one of those scenarios, correct? Amen? Worry is unnatural. Why? Because if you look at all the things God created, the only thing that worries is the human being. You never see birds worrying in the air, just stressed up there. You never see cows worried or dogs worried. You never see cats worried. I have never seen a stressed out cat. Never in my life. I look at cats and I think, man, that's a good gig. How did you get that? The only thing that worries is human beings. Somehow we've learned how to worry. Some of you have PhDs in worry. You have it up on your wall. You're like, I'm one of the best worries around. I can worry about anything. Watch. You want to take that PhD off the wall and say, you know what? This isn't the greatest degree I've earned in my life. I need to stop making worry such a huge part of my life. Matthew 6, 26 says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? The next verse, Why do you worry about clothes? Look at the lilies in the field. They don't worry about theirs, yet King Solomon in all of his glory was never clothed as beautiful as they are. See, your body isn't designed to handle worry. When people say, I'm worried sick about this, they're probably telling the truth. 
because worry actually makes you more sick. I saw a, a, a thing about from doctors saying that half the hospitals would be empty if they would drop three things. It was resentment, guilt, and worry. Hospitals would be emptier if they didn't have a feeling of resentment, guilt, and worry going on in their life. Those things just kill the body over and over and over, and they can't get out of the hospital. Proverbs 12.25 says, An anxious heart weighs a man down. If you go back in Old English, you'll find that the word worry comes from an ancient word, and it's about uh, being strangled or choked. Isn't that a great way to think about it? I am being strangled or choked by this issue in my life right now. That's a great way to think about worry. It's coming around your neck and strangling you. And that's opposed to what Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. So you can have worry or you can have peace. One will kill you and the other will give you life. Worry is unhelpful. It won't make you an inch taller. It won't make your, your waist an inch smaller. We'd all like that. I'd love to worry about my waist and it just goes down. But we know that's not true, right? Worry you can't change your past. Just start looking at your past and going, I can't change that. Continuing to worry about all that stuff in my past does nothing. It's unhelpful. At this point, God, take my past, wrap it up in a bow, and use it for your will. You can use it. You always say you will use bad things for good. So wrap up the past and say, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. Worry won't change my future. It doesn't change your future. It only messes up your present. It's an unhelpful thing in our life. And the, the other one is worry is unnecessary. God says, what in the world are you worried about? Don't you think I'm going to take care of you? I made you. I created you. I saved you, I tell you I love you, and then I said, I'll put my spirit in you. Don't you think I'm also going to take care of your needs along the way? It's unnecessary to continue to worry. Matthew 6.30, if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he most surely care for you, O you of little faith? Worry is a choice. No one sticks a gun to your head and says, I want you to worry right now. We choose it, we learn it, and we get a PhD doing it. We have to drop that. And if we will drop that, God says, if you do this, stop worrying, then I will do this. A peace that passes all comprehension. The second thing he said in those verses was talk to God about everything. It goes on, never worry about anything. Instead, in every situation, let God know what you need in prayers and in your request. Now, my kids have mastered this one. They come up to me, and they know that I am the key to all good things in life. They come to me about every five minutes saying, hey, Dad, can, can we do this? Dad, can we do this? I've never heard them once say, hey, Dad, can we go out for pizza tonight? Do we have enough in our bank account to handle this kind of excursion? And enough time before bed. I, I want to make sure I get my shower and everything in. So is this excursion ready? No, that's not what they say. They just come up and they ask and they ask and they ask. And they come to me about everything. They are masters of this one. Talk to God about everything. I, I love 
what James 4.2 says. You do not have because you do not ask. And we sort of, we have sort of put that verse in the background because somewhere along the way we asked for something and God didn't answer it and we were angry. And so now we're not really sure what God answers and what he doesn't. And so we, we're not, we don't know how to apply this verse anymore. But my kids, they haven't learned that. They will ask me for a candy bar and a new car in the same sentence. And I'll be like, well, no to the candy bar, but the new car, okay, maybe, maybe. See, they will come and they will just know that I'm the one that has to figure out how to do it. I'm the one that has to make sure it works in the scheme of all of life. And they have begged me for things before, and I've given it to them and thought that wasn't really the best thing for them at that time. But I still did it because I love them, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to handle it. And we need to apply this to God. Every analogy has a few weaknesses, so you can't apply it across the board. It's kind of bad if you do. But God has the entire universe in his hands. He knows the beginning and the end. And here's why you can't apply it across the board. Sometimes your story is different. Some of you are facing things that are way beyond the norm. I know that. God knows that. And there's a reason. I don't know why. But your story is different. But God can see it all. And he says, I want you to come and talk to me about everything. I'm not going to give you everything because I love you. And some of your stories are different. But talk to me about everything. Romans 8.32 says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he who gives us Christ also give us everything else we need? Follow the logic. Our biggest, our biggest need in this world, our biggest thing, our, our, the most help we need in is our eternal destination. We're all going to die, and we're all going to go to hell, and that's a problem. And so he takes care of that problem. That's the biggest issue. That's the big one. That's the one that we really need help with. Can't do much about that one. And so he comes along and he says, all right, I'm going to help you through that one. That's your big one. Here's my son, Jesus Christ. You messed up on like day three. He's going to live a perfect life. He's going to go to the cross for all of your sins, all the mess ups. He's going to defeat death. He's going to rise again, and he's going to, as you accept him, take care of your eternal salvation. Now, if I'm going to do all of that for you, if I'm going to take care of all your biggest need in this world, you don't think I'm also going to take care of you along the way? You're my creation. I only made one you. You're unique. You're my masterpiece. I love you. If I'm going to take care of your biggest issue, I'm also also going to take care of your finances, of your career, of your relationships. I'm going to be in all of that too. You may not feel like that sometimes, but God is saying that all through the Bible. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. Talk to me. Just talk to me all the time. The third thing we see in that verse is thank God in all things. And we've talked about this before. It doesn't say thank God for all things there's a huge difference between for and in. You're not, we're not thankful for cancer and death and all the mean people out there doing things that are terrible. We are not thankful for all things, but we are thankful in all things. In all things, God can win. 
in all of your past, all the things that have happened to you, God can still win. Give, him to, give those issues to him and say, God, here's what, I, here's what I offer to you. And he'll say, okay, we're going to have victory with those too. We can be thankful in all things. That verse says, he says, uh, worry about, when you ask for God what you need also, thank him for all he's done. Always ask with a thankful heart. Happy people are usually pretty thankful. Unhappy people, there's usually a lot of ungratefulness happening. A lot of things they're not, they're not thankful for, and they tell you all about it. The happy and the unhappy, it has a lot more to do with gratitude than we think. Study after study has shown that this emotion of happiness and gratitude actually will build up immunities in your body. You'll be a little less sick. We still get sick. Don't hear me wrong, but it builds up immunities. And ungratefulness does the opposite. The more ungrateful and unhappy we are, immunities in your body literally die. That's crazy stuff. I, I, I was amazed by this. The other one was, that came up was depression. Depression, the number one thing to fight depression is being grateful. That means you stop thinking about yourself. You start to take the attention off of self and you look out. And the more you look out, the more grateful you become, the more thankful you start to be and depression sort of seeps away. This is such good stuff. You guys, First uh, Thessalonians 5.18 says this, In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ, uh, in Christ Jesus for you. And again, I think I did this in another sermon, but circle everything. In every, that's the hard part of that verse. In everything, give thanks. That's the part where everything, don't question me. In everything, give thanks. Everything. People come to me a lot, and they'll hear a sermon, and they'll say, I'm willing to do whatever God asks of me, but I'm not sure what he's asking of me. I always turn to this verse, and I say, well, number one, he says right here, and this pretty much applies to everyone, for the will of God is to give thanks. So in your current situation, no matter what it is, give thanks. That's like step one, and then step two, three, four, and five will show up. They just sort of show up when we do one. Again, it's a promise, but there's something we're supposed to do. The fourth area of releasing the stress in our life is to, I think, about good things. The issue of stress, we have sort of this thought process that it's this and this and basically anything out here, when the truth is stress is way more about what's in here between the ears our mind is what makes stress go up and up and up. And most of us are, uh, have a mind like a freeway. You'll just let anything just drive through this mind. And it, we're all guilty of it. You know, you go to the movies and you just let anything sort of enter in here. TV shows, you'll read novels we probably shouldn't, sort of listen to things we shouldn't, gossip about things we shouldn't. Our mind is what's allowing all these things to build up. And some of us are so open-minded that our brains are falling out of our head. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're worried about things like, like air pollution and, and all these green things that are coming out. When we, what we most should be worried about is mind pollution. It's the number one thing that's killing us. 
Philippians 4.8 says, fill your mind with those things that are true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and beautiful and respected. If anything is excellent, if anything is worthy of honor, think about those things. He basically gives you a test. Throw everything through this test. Is it good? Is it true? Is it right? Pure, beautiful, respected, excellent, worthy of honor. If those all line up with what you're looking at, and I know I'm guilty of it. I love going to movies where some guy's got a machine gun. He's just firing off everywhere, and you're like, yeah! But if I was watching the news and someone died for no apparent reason, some random machine gun hit him, I would be like, oh, it's so terrible. And yet every night, I'll watch the show with 19 different people getting shot by this machine gun. That's not good. I know. Sorry. We have to be careful because what he's actually saying here, Philippians 4.8 is a picture of God. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. He does it in every verse all throughout the Bible. He wants to point everything back to him. And so what he's saying is what you're allowing in your mind, is it a picture of me? What's the picture? True, good, right, pure, beautiful, respected, excellent, and worthy of honor. If that is the picture that you're seeing, you're seeing me. And what I want from you is every day, I want you to see me. I want you to talk to me. I want you to thank me. And I want you to see me. And when you see me, this is what it's going to look like. So if you're seeing something else that can't flow into that filter, and we all know what those things are, they don't flow through this filter, then you're not looking at the right things. Proverbs 14.9 says this, fools make fun of sin. We need to take a step back. Are we making fun of sin? Isaiah says, you, Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's about your thoughts. It's about what's in here. It'll change the stress in your life. Number five, be content with anything. The Bible tells us to be content. Now, the issue with this is what we've learned of contentment. We have a very different view of what contentment is than what God is saying here. A lot of people think contentment is no ambition. You're okay with life how it is, and you're sort of apathetic. You're not really doing much because you're so content with where you are in life. That's not, that's not what contentment is at all. That's not what God is saying here. You have to remember who's writing this. Paul. And if you do any sort of study on Paul, you will see a man with ambition beyond anyone you know. The guy, he's introducing Christ to places that have never heard about Christ. He's the, one of the first missionaries. And he's going from city to city and sharing no matter how difficult it is. Churches are being started. Then the guy's writing letters back that we put into a Bible. He wrote about half the New Testament. That's a man that's going way beyond ambition. That's a man who's changing the world. And he's the one writing this. So he's not saying contentment means you're apathetic, means you're just sitting back and letting the world hit you. Contentment is not laziness. It's not apathy. It's not complacency. It's not fatalism. That's when you say, ah, what will be will be. I can't seem to change anything anyway. No, that's not contentment. Contentment is, it's enjoying what I have right now, 
rather than waiting for something else to happen in order for me to be happy. Does that make sense? You don't have to have something happen in your life, and then I'll be happy. That when this happens, when I get this job, when I get this relationship, when I'm married, when I, do, when I get this, then I'll be happy. That's the thing that's going to sort of be the catalyst that sends me over and like, okay, you will never get there. Contentment begins in your life right now. You have to choose it. It's an it's a independence from circumstances. It means my joy is not connected to what others have to do, to something I have to gain. In verse 11 and 12, we see this. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know how to live on almost nothing, or I know how to live with everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, or whether I have more that I need or I don't have enough. That's contentment. And here's what's cool. Contentment is something you can learn. Here's how we learn it. You begin by stop comparing your life to others. That's so important. Comparing is the absolute killer of this world. I really love my car. I have an FJ Cruiser. I've always been a Jeep guy. I had a Jeep as a, a young teenager. Drove it all over the Sierra Nevadas. Broke it like 15 times, which was expensive. I finally got tired of being bounced around like a ping pong ball when I just wanted to go to the store for some milk. So I moved to the FJ because this is sort of the best of both worlds. All the modern sort of nice springs. I don't know, whatever. All the modern things. But still looks like a Jeep. And I could take it up, although I never have. I'm so content with my car until I drive out on the freeway and I see all these other cars or I drive in the parking lot and see all your nice cars and I'm like, man, these cars are so much cooler than mine. God, what did I do wrong? Same with my house. I love my house. It's a great house until I turn on the TV and see some of the houses that are out there. And I watch these shows and I'm like, man, I really made a mistake with my life. I, my house is a lame house compared to these. This guy's got a waterfall coming down in through his living room. <laughs> Comparison is a killer of happiness. And we do it all the time. You've, you've got to stop. You've got to stop comparing. Uh, you are so unique. God, over and over, I mean, look around. None of you look like the other person. You are so unique. Your scenario is different from everyone else. If you try, and here's what the world does, when you try to make your life look like everyone else around you, you're actually going against your uniqueness in which God said, if you're going to look like everyone else, I mean, people clone people. I make everyone unique, and then I break the mold after every single one. You're, you're the only you. I want you to be you. He's excited by you. We have to get more excited about us. Peace of mind makes the body healthy, but envy is like a cancer. The second thing we have to do is stop thinking that having more is better. This is what advertising has done to us. It, it has lies, and so it says, having more will make me more happy, having more will make me more important, and having more will make me more secure. None of those things are true. Yet every single advertisement says one of those, right? Absolutely. They all say this, and they're, they're all a complete lie. There's a billion different ways to lose a billion dollars in this world. 
So having a billion dollars will not make you more secure. It actually might make you more nervous. You have to put your security in things that cannot be taken away from you. Money, that can be taken away from you. Family, yeah, that can be taken away from you. Your job, of course, that can be taken. All these things that we say will secure us, all the stuff that will secure us, are the very things that can be taken at any moment. Any moment. There's only one thing that can't be taken from you at any moment. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of us spend the least amount of time with the one thing that will never be taken away, including in death. Most of the stuff that we're really spending a lot of time with, when you die, will be taken away from you. We live in homes that someone else is going to live in someday, and yet we're putting a lot of time into that, right? I'm sorry. That's a little too close to home. Ecclesiastes 4 says, It's better to only have a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. A lot of people are possessed by their possessions. Don't do that. The third thing is admire without having to acquire. You know one of my favorite things to do in this world? (laughs) Is to go out on Pastor Larry's boat. Is he in here? I don't think I saw him. But (laughs) this is really bad because he's never going to take me again. I love going out there. Shirley makes these homemade banana nut muffins. My kids are there. It's, so, it's awesome. I go on the wakeboard and the surfboard, and we play music really loud. And then I go home. He cleans it, stores it, insures it, maintains it. It's fantastic. <laughs> and don't, don't get me wrong. Owning a boat, nothing wrong with owning a boat. I'm just saying you can admire it without having to acquire it. Another thing I love to do is go down to the bay, Newport, and, and do kayaks, just go all over. And so I thought, I'm going to buy a couple. I'm going to have these because I really like this. And then I thought, why would I buy this? I'm going to have to get something to actually trek it down there. Then I'm going to have to maintain it, store it in my garage, which is going to take half my garage. And then there's going to be a cooler one in like a year, and I'm going to have to upgrade constantly. Why would I do that when I can just drive down there, rent some guy on the beach, take his out, destroy it as much as I want, and bring it back and be like, well, see ya. Doesn't that sound better? It does to me. Admire without inquiring. Acquiring. Verse 13 says, here's the key, the final point. How do we do this? How do we do these five things? Because they're really easy to talk about, but they're not that easy to do. It's easy to say, don't worry about anything. But to actually do it, a little bit harder. How do we do it? Verse 13 tells us, I have the strength to face anything and everything by the power that Christ gives me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not easy to worry about nothing. It's not easy to pray about everything. It's not easy to thank God for everything in our life. It's not easy to think about good things only. And it's not easy to be content with anything, no matter what our situation is. That's not easy. In fact, it's impossible. Unless we do verse 13. We have Christ in us. That power of Christ will give you the strength. It's the only way. Job twenty-two twenty-one says, Obey God and be at peace with him. This is the way to happiness. And remember the key. God says, if you do this, 
then I will do this. What is that? Peace beyond all comprehension. You can have it. That's the way to real happiness. Let's pray. If you're in here today, I'd ask you to pray this simple prayer with me. Just saying amen in your heart, agreeing with your heart. Dear God, I don't want to be stressed out. I want to be happy. You promised that if I do all these things, that I will experience your peace. So I'm going to hold you at your word. I don't have the strength to do these five things, but Jesus Christ gives it to me. So God, I ask that. I ask for that in my life. I ask you to be the savior of my life. You to be the guiding light in my life. I need you to give me that strength. Help me to worry about nothing. To remember that it's unreasonable, unnatural, unhealthy, unnecessary. That you will take care of me. God, help me to worry about nothing. And God, help me to pray about everything. Instead of talking to myself, I'll talk to you. Help me to thank you in all things. Help me to think about only good things. And God, I ask you to help me be content with anything. God, I want to have peace with you so that I can have the peace that you give me. I want to know you, and as humbly as I can say, make yourself real to me. I pray this in your name. Amen.